If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. My name is Josh. I am the assistant pastor here at Community. I want to welcome all of you here. Uh, part of my role as the assistant pastor here is I am the youth person. Um, and one of our youth people is Kelsey Knowlton, and she just graduated. And she's going to be having a grad party on the 15th. At the end of the service, there'll be more details. All of you are invited to that. Um, I just wanted to kind of have that privilege as the youth person to announce Kelsey's thing. Um, but I'm not going to go through all the details. You can read at the slide at the end. Um, so, that uh, being said, today we are going to be kind of building right off of that song that Jeremy just sung, that idea that Christ through us changes us, right? We are no longer the same person that we were before. And we're going to be doing that through Acts chapter 4. Uh, when Dan asked me to fill in for him this week because he's out of town uh, he said, you know, it's kind of up to you for what you're speaking about, and I really enjoy speaking about whatever I'm currently reading and learning about. And I was going through the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 4 kind of jumped out as, uh, as something I should talk about. And then with Adam, the guy who spoke last week, um, it kind of worked out that our messages went together. It was really kind of a God thing. And then seeing Jeremy come in, and I talked to him this morning, and he was like, hey, this is my third song. And I was like, dude, you need to stop right there because you can sing the last song later. Uh, because that goes perfectly with what I'm talking about today. Um, and I am super, super excited to share God's word in Acts chapter 4. But before we can start getting into our our story, you need to understand a couple things about what happened just before it and some of the characters that are in this story. So right before the story in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are walking into the temple to kind of share Jesus with other people, and there is a guy sitting uh, by the gates of the temple who is lame, and he is unable to walk, and Peter and John heal him right? Pretty awesome. They use Jesus' power. They basically say, through Jesus, who's the resurrected God, you're healed. Get up, walk. The dude like doesn't just get up, and it's not like Bambi, where he like kind of stumbled all over the place and fell down, right? He stood up, and he was jumping and running around, and it was a very evident miracle. Um, and there wasn't, as we'll see later when we get into chapter four, there wasn't any argument that it was a miracle. This dude was 40 years old, and he had been sitting in front of the temple for a very long time. So people knew him, they recognized who he was, and it was irrefutable that this was a miracle, right? So that guy's in our story, and then Peter and John get up in front of people, and they're all amazed by this miracle, and they start preaching about Jesus. They basically call the people out. They're like, Jesus, who you crucified, um, was dead, but don't worry, he's raised from the dead, and he wants to do the same thing for you. Right, So this is Peter and John, they're up doing that. Um, Peter and John, their character development here, right? they're both fishermen. Um, Peter's the guy who kind of lopped off the ear of the guard in the, in the garden. Uh, John would have been at least self-proclaimed in the book of John, the disciple that uh, Jesus loved. Um, and that's who we have, these two guys who are fishermen, untrained dudes, preaching the gospel. And then our last character you need to understand as we jump into it are the Sadducees, all right? If you know anything about Jesus' timeline, he was often confronted by the Pharisees, right? There's a difference in what they believe, but both of them have 
uh, religious and kind of political leadings of the people of Israel, right? The Pharisees believed certain things, but the Sadducees, some of the differences in what they believed um, were politically, they weren't necessarily in line with Rome. Like they didn't like Rome, but they were also kind of like, don't rock the boat with Rome. Like they're at least letting us practice our beliefs. And if we mess that up, somebody else could take over us and then we won't be able to do this anymore. So like leave Rome alone. Um, So they were kind of more politically aligned with Rome and they believed in the Torah or the book of the law and pretty much anything other than that, they were kind of like, no. Um, So the angels, they didn't believe those existed. They didn't believe demons existed. They don't believe uh, in the afterlife, right? So they, they don't believe you can be dead and then resurrected into an afterlife, which is, you know, why they're sad, you see. Um, Yeah, super corny joke. Um, But the idea is they don't believe in the resurrection. They're really strong. Like, that's not even possible. Afterlife, not a thing, right? We live, we live for God, we die, and it's done, right? That's why they're so mad at Peter and John because they're standing up saying Jesus has been resurrected. And these guys are spiritual leaders in their community who are now, if this is true, being disproven as spiritual leaders. So they don't really like the fact that Peter and John are grabbing at that power they have. Okay, so these are our characters. Now we can jump into our story a little bit. But before we jump into our story, have you like ever heard somebody say something that like, as soon as they say it, you can't like help yourself but respond. Like you just have to say something back. Um, for me, it revolves around this. If somebody says this is pop, they're wrong. It's soda, right? I grew up in Florida. This is a thing. It's soda. It's not a sound. Pop is a sound or an onomatopoeia. It is not a thing. So every time my wife is with my kids, and we, we very rarely let them have soda, soda, not pop, um, they pour it in there, and we like bicker back and forth with our kids, both trying to teach our kids what to call it. Um, I'm pretty sure by the end of it, they're probably going to call it soda pop, um, because they'll go back and forth, and they're like, which parent do I want to align and bug the other parent, right? Um, and we have fun with that, but every time it happens, like at youth group, whatever, I'm like, nope, soda, you're calling it the wrong thing. Uh, nowhere, unless it's made in Michigan, does it actually have the word pop written on it. There are things that have soda written on it. Um, so when you hear that, I have to debate it, right? Well, that's kind of how our story starts. We have a couple of different responses that we see. So Peter and John just preached the resurrection, and then we have... Our first set of verses, oh, I should probably turn this on, it might help. All right, in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, Sadducees, no resurrection. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. All right? A couple of responses we see here. Number one, we hear the gospel. The gospel is something that you don't have a choice but to respond to, right? So the gospel demands a response. The first response we see is our Sadducees. They try to squash it. Right? They're trying to take the gospel and say, no more. We'll see it even more in the passage as we read a little bit further. But they try to squash it. That's response number one. Response number two is belief. 
in this passage, right? So you have, it says, and now has been added up to 5,000 men. They pretty much only counted men at that point in time. Sorry, ladies, it's just the way it was. Um, But most historians could say if there was 5,000 men, there was also 5,000 women or a rough equivalent to that. This was an addition to the the 3,000. So it was actually 2,000 at this point based on what you can read with contextual clues. So they were at 3,000 that believed with the first sermon. Now we're preaching again. We just added 2,000 more people or in this case roughly 10,000 people. That's a big deal. Right? So you have 10,000 people who are now saying, I don't agree with what the Sadducees say, which is why they're so upset about it. Okay? So we have two responses there, and I kind of want you to understand that when you share the gospel, or if you believe the gospel and you share it with somebody, one thing you can definitely expect is opposition. Right? It's never going to come without that. You will receive or have people who are also receptive to the gospel, but you're also gonna be faced with opposition. In our culture, that opposition might look different than it did in their culture, but we're gonna face it here too, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get going. All right, oh, sorry, on that point, you'll expect opposition, but the gospel's gonna get out, right? Uh, One of the speakers I heard talk about this, they said they can arrest the disciples, but they can't arrest the gospel. Right? They took the disciples out of the equation and they're like, no, no more talking, and they shoved them in jail. And then 2,000 people got saved. Right? So oftentimes God's word actually thrives in persecution rather than the intended goal of the opposite. So when you face persecution, as we won't see it in this passage, but if you read the next chapter in Acts, you can actually rejoice right? because God's word is getting out there. And if people are persecuting you because of it, it means it's effective and it's reaching people and they don't like that. Okay. So we'll go a little bit further and we'll start diving into what happens after they're arrested. Actually, this is a NASB, that's ESV, so I'll read this one. All right. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priestly family And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? I think this is kind of a funny question because they arrested them because they were preaching in Jesus' name for doing that miracle. And now they're like, hey, what are you, why, or what name are you doing this for? And it's like, you know the answer to that question. That's why you arrested us, right? So we jump a little bit further. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has this been healed? Let it be known to all, and I'm going to pause right there for just a second. Peter kind of like a little bit sarcastically responds to them like, wait, wait a minute, you arrested me because I made somebody able to walk? Like, do you, do you not want me to do that anymore? Is that, is that why I'm up here? Like, doesn't really make sense, but I, I guess. And I guess if that's the case, if that's why you arrested me because I made somebody walk, then I'll let you know. And he says, well, where was I? There we go. By what means has he been healed? Let it be known to all of you, the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you. By uh, I should probably read and then talk and not turn away and not remember what I'm going to say. Um, but anyway, by him he's been made well. And another uh, in the, in the Nasby it says he was made 
well. So we see a little glimpse of the gospel here in what Peter says to these Sadducees. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified. We can apply that statement to ourselves, right? We are all sinners. We have all messed up. We are all equally responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, right? It needed to happen so that we could be made well. So the cause of this whole issue, right, you crucified him. You messed up. You made a mistake. Same thing. Apply it to us, right? That's the gospel. But there's a cure. God raised him from the dead. The same is true. This is why the resurrection is so important. A lot of times when we share the gospel, we're like, Jesus loves you and He wants to save you and wants to save you from hell, which is all very, very true, but we forget the resurrection part. It's so important that Jesus proved that he could raise from the dead to prove that he can also do the same thing for us, right? So we see God raised him from the dead. That's kind of the cure and then the consequence, right? Jesus was raised from the dead. This man is made well. You believe that? You are made spiritually well. So when Peter shares this with them, it's kind of like a, introduction to the gospel and they really don't like it because of this phrase where he says whom God raised from the dead that makes them pretty angry because they don't believe that's true as we move in a little bit further Peter starts he goes this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This reference here that Jesus is the cornerstone is actually a direct quote from, I'm really struggling to talk today, from Psalms 118 verse 22. Jesus said the same thing. He called himself the cornerstone in Matthew 21. And now Peter's saying it again. It is a reference to that passage. And even in that passage, it's a reference to what's considered a rabbinical parable. All right, Jesus taught in parables, right? We all know that he like told stories to help prove points. Well, the rabbis of that time, and even back when David was around, did the same thing. They would teach with stories so that it would help you understand. Well, this rabbinical parable would have been pretty commonly known to these rabbis, right? They're all teachers, Sadducees, so they would have heard this at some point in their lives. So when he addresses it, they know what he's talking about. And the story kind of goes like this. They started building the temple, and God made a rule that he didn't want the sound of chisels and hammers to be made at the site of the temple. So these men would go to the quarry, and they would make perfect things, cut so that they would fit, and then they would bring them there and put them into place right? And so the quarry dudes made all these rocks and they started sending them over to the, the guys who were building it. And this one rock gets there and it's early on in the construction and they're like, this rock doesn't fit. You guys messed up. And they take the rock and they kind of chuck it off in the grass off to the side. And then they go to finish the rest of the thing. And they keep getting all these rocks and they get all the way to the point where there's the last thing or what's considered called a capstone or a cornerstone. And this last stone needs to be put in place so that basically as the storms and time and things hit it, the whole thing doesn't collapse on itself, right? And they are like, hey, Corey dudes, you forgot the stone for this piece. And the Corey guys are like, uh, nope, we sent that. We don't really mess up with our job. Like, we, we did the right thing. And then the builders are like, oh, that one we chucked over in the grass? You mean, yeah. So they grab that one and they stick it in there and now the temple's complete, right? And it's a rabbinical parable to help people kind of see who the Messiah is going to be. And they would have understood that and then when it's in reference of Jesus, they'll see, they kind of wrap their mind around, okay, this is what Peter's trying to say. That 
Jesus we killed would have been the equivalent of us chucking that stone into the grass, and now we need him, is what Peter's saying, right? By no other name or men can you be saved. They would get it. It would make sense to them when he made this quote back to what David said. And they see this, and the fact that Peter and John are not educated comes up here in a second. They say... Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Just think about that phrase for a second, right? These dudes were uneducated. Yeah, Peter and John were uneducated men. They were fishermen. I'm just imagining the conversation they had with Luke. Luke's the guy who wrote the book of Acts, right? So later, you know, book Acts comes out and Peter and John read through it and they're like, really, dude? You couldn't have left that part out? You couldn't have just said like, hey, we spent, they recognized we spent time with Jesus. You didn't have to call us uneducated and untrained. Like, come on, we got trained by Jesus too. Um, but that's what he says and they recognize this and it's a... Actually, a really good like feeling for me because no matter what amount of training you have, right, the important part is that you spend time with Jesus. So we spending time with Jesus is going to be obvious to other people. If you take time to spend with Jesus and then you go and share the gospel, that's going to be obvious, right? But if you try to share the gospel with other people and you don't take any time to get to know the person you're sharing, right? it's not going to be easy, right? It'd be equivalent to me trying to explain you the inner workings of a car, right? I can change brakes, but I can't change the motor, right? I, I, and if I tried to explain it to you, you would look at me and be like, uh-huh, yeah, sure, he has no idea what he's talking about. Um, and that's the same thing. If you're going to share Jesus... You don't have to necessarily have the most fancy degree, right? Fisherman, that's a lay person's job, right? You don't have to have a fancy degree, but what you do have to have is time with Jesus. And it is important that you do that and you take time to get in God's word and to know what he has to say. Now, the other side of this we'll see in our, in our verses to come is when Jesus changes you, it's irrefutable to others, right? They can try to debate the Bible and they can try to debate whether some of the things in the biblical history has happened or not. Um, but what they can't debate is when you tell them what's happened to you, right? So if you say, God changed me in this way, I was this, right? Now I am this, right? Personally, I was a person who hated being in front of people. Like, hated it. Um, as a kid, my mom put me in a play, and basically nobody else wanted to be the lead person. And so, woohoo, I win the job. Um, so I get to be the lead person in this kid's play, and while I was up front, I had this, like, coughing attack that couldn't stop. It just kept coughing and coughing and coughing. I go off to the side of the stage, and because I'm a kid, I forget to turn my mic off. The person in the back doesn't turn me off. So I'm, like, hacking up a lung right into the mic, over in front of everybody else, the, there's a lady at our church like came running up behind the stage and like, here's a mint. Um, all of this is happening so everybody can hear, even though I'm like hiding behind a little stage prop. Um, and ever since then, I'm like, nope, not me, right? But then as I grow in my life, I start hitting college and God kind of calls me to be a teacher at a school. And the more and more time I spend with Jesus, the more and more he's calling me to 
be up here talking to people. And the transformation in my life from kid who was crying his eyes out after the play saying I'm never going on stage again to where I am now, I can only explain through Jesus. And that can't be debated by anybody in this room because it's my story, right? And so when you share your story of how Jesus changed you, it's powerful and people can't refute it. And we see this in this story as we go a little bit further in our passage. We see, but seeing who was healed standing beside, or sorry, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For there was a notable sign that had been performed through them to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and who can deny it? So these guys who are like, resurrection's not real, don't really believe um, in a lot of the afterlife, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are both super skeptical of miracles in general, so when miracles do happen, they're like, well, there's a whole list of things you have to do to prove it, right? This one met all of those. Everybody knew he was lame, everybody's seen him, he's been around for 40 years, he's been healed, we can't argue with it. And so we, we kind of move on in our story here a little bit. It says, but in order that they might not spread the gospel any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John can't help it. Right? We'll, we'll see this in the next verse. Peter and John just can't contain themselves. They can't listen to them. Um, so we're, my, I guess my conclusion point, we'll, we'll get a little bit further, but when you experience Jesus, you can't help but share him with others. Peter and John say, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, we'll let you be the judge of that. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So when we experience Jesus, we can't help but share him with others. I, I had a friend in college who he was very fond of his tattoos, right? But he met and knew Jesus during his college time. And so he decided that his tattoos, he would take and use them, right? And he literally plastered from Genesis all the way across to the resurrection on him, right? And he used that, right, because it's just who God made him to be as something to erase what was there, right, and become something that he can now share the gospel. He had no, like, qualms. He was so excited about what God had changed him. So when people would be like, hey, what's that all about? And he could, like, literally walk you through the gospel on his body, which was weird and cool at the same time. Um, but he and I had lots of great conversations as we worked. We both worked at a sub shop, and I just remember one day, like, standing there with him, and I'm like, dude, like, why? And he goes, well, if you look real close here, and he, like, showed me what was on his shoulder, and he's just like, how I could take Jesus and, like, put it over that, and it became who I am now. And it was, even though I personally am never going to get a tattoo, it was one of those, like, 
wow, like really easy object lesson of seeing how God in his life has changed who he is. And now he wants to share Jesus so much so that he's like, I'm going to turn myself into a walking Bible. Um, And that's who he was. And Peter and John kind of respond. It's actually a little sarcastic again here. Uh, Peter kind of says, well, whether it's right for us to listen to you or God, I guess you guys can debate that later, right? We'll leave that up to you. As for me, I'm going to listen to God because, yeah, he's more important than you. Um, And that's kind of how Peter responds. And it says, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle had been performed. In the next chapter in Acts, Peter and John follow through on what they said. They keep preaching. They don't stop. They keep sharing Jesus. They can't help it. And they get arrested again. And this time, it's not just threats, right? There's no miracle this time. So the the Sadducees can kind of be like, well, we can't really, people aren't as cool, like in an uproar because of the miracle. So they flog them. Um, They, yeah, it's not pretty, but they, they basically beat them up real bad. And then they let them go. And as I said at the beginning, Peter and John, they don't like walk out and they're like, oh man, this hurts, right? Um, They walk out, it says they walk out rejoicing because they had the privilege to suffer for Jesus. Um, And how often do we face persecution, but we kind of shy away from it? Uh, One speaker I heard said, in our culture in America, we suffer persecution of our ego. We don't necessarily suffer persecution of our body, but we suffer persecution of our ego, meaning I as a person like the way I look at work, right? I like the way that people view me. I'm a nice guy or whatever. But if I share Jesus, then all of a sudden I'm that like religious fanatic person, right? And they start shunning me or I'm afraid they might start doing that or I'm afraid that they might not want to be my friend anymore. Um, That fear of that persecution is what oftentimes keeps us. And I I wonder how many of you, if I lined you all up here and I said, would you rather like drop a notch in your friend's eyes or me beat you with this stick, right? How many of you would be like, "Eh, I might drop a notch in my friend's eyes, right? Instead of letting me beat you senseless with a stick, right? That's the persecution they faced and yet they continue to stand up in front of people even after they get beat and continue to share the gospel When we leave here today, it's really easy for us to sit in church and talk about Jesus things with people that are here. It gets a lot harder when you get surrounded by people who don't know Jesus or don't love Jesus or even are adamantly against Jesus. It gets a lot harder. But if you are afraid to share the gospel, then you're taking away an opportunity for them that could be life-altering. One of the speakers, this isn't my personal story, but I thought it was so powerful I had to share it that I was listening to. He said that he was a youth pastor, and this girl started coming to his youth group, and he preached the gospel, and she got saved and was super on fire for Jesus and wanted wanted to do lots of things. And then about a month and a half, two months went by, Right, And then she came in and got uh, in front of him and was like, hey, could you come and share the gospel with my sister? And he was like, sure, I'll go share the gospel with your sister. So he went over to their house and, and started sharing the gospel with her sister. And her sister 
believed it and got saved and got super excited and ran out of the room and went and talked to her sister and was like, you need to hear this. You need to hear this Jesus. And her sister's like, yeah, I, I already know him. And then she was just like, wait, you, you knew this and you didn't share it with me? Are you serious? And she was very, obviously very hurt, but the power of that, like, if you know Jesus, you should want to share him. And the fear of maybe I'll be rejected should not be a reason that we allow ourselves to cave into it, right? Instead, we should be like Peter and John and be excited that maybe if I share the gospel with somebody, they might accept it. And yes, I might face persecution, but if I'm facing persecution, it probably means it's working somewhere else because they can arrest the disciples, right? But they can't arrest the gospel. Peter and John, I just, uh, I wanted to mention this too, right? We're talking about the whole transformation of people and Christ in their lives. Peter was a person who, in front of Jesus, was pretty brash, right? Jesus says, you're not going to deny me. Or he says to Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus kind of responds, yeah, actually, you are. Uh, And then three times that night when Jesus was being arrested and tried, Peter denies. One of the times would be to a teenage, or most historians believe, a teenage servant girl. So Peter goes from disciple who denies Jesus in front of a servant girl to I can now stand in front of the same group of men who just arrested and killed Jesus. It's a huge transformation. And that can only, again, remember your story, can only be explained through Jesus. So I kind of want to close with this idea, right? The couple of things. When you hear the gospel... There's a couple of responses you can expect to face. Acceptance, which is what we're all looking for, right? And resistance. If you cave to the resistance, you're never going to see the acceptance. So don't be afraid to share it, even if it means we have to drop a couple pegs in somebody's eyes because now we're a religious fanatic. Second, when you know Jesus, he changes you. Peter and John, very different than they were a few years prior before meeting Jesus. And it's evident to others when Jesus changes you, right? You are no longer the same person. And then finally, that experience you have, don't you want that for other people? Don't you want to see Jesus work in and through their lives? And if you do, Share it. Jesus has done awesome things in your life. Share those with people. It doesn't have to be a direct, hey, this is Jesus. It can be, look what he's done for me. Isn't that awesome? We get excited about things that are new and special and we haven't, or that change our lives a little bit, right? Uh, My wife and I have been saving up for a few years and just got a brand new car right? Not new. It's definitely not new. Um, But it's new to us, right? And we're excited about it. My kids, everybody that they talk to are like, new car, it has eight seats, you know? And it has air conditioning. Um, And they're super excited about it. And they want to share it with whoever they can, right? That's how our lives work. When we have new and special and exciting things, we want to share them. Jesus is something that's exciting. It may not be new for all of us, 
right? I grew up in a Christian home. It's not like I haven't known Jesus. I've known him for a long time. Many of you have known Jesus for a long time, but he is still very much an exciting part of your life. And if you aren't working hard to see how God can change you and turn you into who he wants you to be, I encourage you to start doing that because then there's going to be these new and exciting parts of your walk with Jesus that you just can't help but share with other people. And when those happen, share them. Don't be afraid to be like, yeah, Jesus did this this week in my life. And people will see, okay, they believe in Jesus and Jesus is changing their lives. And hopefully, even though you may face some persecution, you'll also see acceptance and the blessing that comes from sharing the gospel. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer and then I'll invite the worship team back up here. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for just the opportunity you gave me today to speak. I pray that you just remove me and any of the errors or slip-ups that I had today and uh, that your word speaks today. I pray that you will use each of us in the lives of those around us at our work, at our school, uh, even in our families, that you will help us be excited about you and wanting and willing to share despite whatever uh, fears we may have. I pray this in your name. Amen. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.